Good morning. Today's gospel reading is from Matthew 21, verses 23 to 32. You can find this on page 20 in the New Testament. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the taxpayer, tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Today's reading from Exodus will continue the saga of the sojourn of the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness. We pick up the story just after God has satisfied the people's hunger with quail and manna, a miraculous daily supply of sustenance. The Israelites have entered the region called the wilderness of sin, you will hear. Sin does not mean the English word sinfulness, but it is akin to the Hebrew word for moon. They make their way by stages to the place called Rephidim. Most biblical archaeologists agree Rephidim is a region of about a thousand square kilometers in that desert area. There were probably wadis in the vicinity desert streams that flow in one season and dry up in another. Rephidim is thought to be about 20 miles northwest of Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. This is the mountain where God will soon make an everlasting covenant with the Israelites. Yahweh, the great I Am, is choosing them as his people and binding God's self to them forever. Let us hear the word of God for the people of God. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, 
And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray that we might hear. We haven't come here today to hear human words, O oh God. This is why we've come, for your word. We are hungry and thirsty, and we wait for you. Lord, have mercy. Amen. Think with me, if you will, for a moment of a time when you were thirsty. Modern people do not like to be thirsty. The gazillion water bottles and cup holders that are now standard implements in our cars, grocery carts, baby strollers, bikes, buses, trains, are a testament to our desire to have liquid beverages close at hand all day, every day. This desire is not just about comfort. It is about health and growth and the ability to thrive, which is why we as a congregation have been mobilized by God to assist partners in Honduras who lack clean water, and why we watch with concern and compassion the situation of our neighbors in the islands or Mexico, and particularly in Puerto Rico, who have been without safe drinking water since Hurricane Maria. We human beings need water grow and thrive and survive. So modern people do not want to be thirsty. Neither do ancient people. The Israelites are thirsty here in Exodus. Indeed, they complain that their thirst is critical, that they are suffering mightily here at the place called Rephidim, where they have arrived after an arduous trek through the wilderness of Sin, only to find stream beds, the wadis, have dried up. They are so parched, they turn on their hero, Moses, threatening to stone him. The people are becoming a mob because of their thirst. And Moses is thirsty too. He's angry, even belligerent. He has no desire to be the fall guy for God, and he's had enough. What shall I do with these people? He cries out boldly, boldly, before God. 
The ancient Israelites, Moses like us, do not want to be thirsty, and they demand action. Now, at this point, biblical commentators often remark something like, God has parted seas, rained down plagues on their enemies, provided miraculous food, and now they complain to God? Have they forgotten God's signs and wonders and how God has provided for them? But I beg to differ with the commentators. No, I don't think the Israelites have forgotten. They do not cry out because they have forgotten God's power and providential care. They complain because they remember the signs and wonders. They know what God is capable of doing. They have seen that Yahweh can produce what they need. And now they cry out to Moses. And Moses cries out to God, God, you can fix this. St. Augustine cried out to God, You called, you cried, you shattered my deafness. You sparkled, you blazed, you drove away my blindness. I tasted, and now I hunger and thirst. Centuries later, a mathematician, Blaise Pascal, will write, You would not seek God if you had not already found him. You and I cry out to God. We even complain. We do not cry out because we doubt that God can do anything. I, for one, cry out because I know what God can do. Here in the desert, The people are not thirsting for luxuries, but for the fundamental element of human life, H2O. But they also thirst for something else, something even more fundamental, something even deeper. Is the Lord among us or not? They thirst for God. This is their most critical thirst for God's presence. God seems to be absent, and they cannot face life without him. It doesn't require much from us 21st century hearers to make what preachers call the homiletical leap, the connection the bridge from the the experience of the ancient Israelites to our own. Life has not changed so much that we do not see suffering people lost in wildernesses every day. And we ourselves may not stumble in desert sands, but on some level, we know what it is to find ourselves in a desolate place, either in our bodies or in our souls. We know what it is to fear for our children, to be anxious for our livelihood, for our future, perhaps even our survival, and wonder if God is no longer among us. The psalmist wrote, 
my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. And even Jesus could not escape the desolate places. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is there any more primal or universal cry than this? Is the Lord among us or not? Here in Exodus, at the opening of God's journey with God's people, Yahweh begins to answer that cry. Yes. I am here. Here in the wilderness, God answers Moses. I will be standing in front of you, and I will give you water. Trust me. Most times when we consider this text, in movies, or art, or children's books, even in the subtitles in our Bibles, the focus is on that dramatic moment when the water comes streaming out of the rock and panting people cup their hands to catch some of it. And that is good because this is a magnificent sign which deserves our rapt attention and should not be forgotten. But this time as I listen, I am struck by something I've never noticed before. God says to Moses, go on, keep traveling ahead, go to Mount Horeb, I'll be standing there, standing on that rock in front of you. Notice, the water hasn't come yet, and Horeb is miles away. The people will not see that wondrous water from the rock immediately, not in Rephidim. They have to keep going. They have to travel on while they are still thirsty. There is nothing for them to do but press on together through this arid stage of their journey to hold each other up and to hold on because the only way out of Rephidim is through. That is the way things often work on this journey, isn't it? God gives us manna every day. But apparently, sometimes, God allows our thirst for him to continue. And the only thing we can do is press on keep traveling through desolate stages while we still thirst. Why, I wonder? Why would God make the Israelites wait? Why not satisfy their thirst for him in Rephidim? Or for that matter, why did God not satisfy Jesus' thirst on the cross? Are the Israelites, who are new to this relationship with God, beginning to think of Yahweh only as Mr. Fix-It? Yahweh didn't choose these people so God could be at their beck and call. Yahweh chose them in love 
for love. God thirsts for a relationship with them, an abiding relationship of mutual trust and love. Are the people becoming too dependent upon signs, too demanding of wonders? Is it time for these children to grow to a new stage, to move from infants who must be carried every step of the way, babies whose cries must be satisfied instantly, to toddlers who are learning to walk by themselves? Is Yahweh acting here like the parent who says to the tottering child, come on, you can do it, come to me? backing up a step or two, even stepping out of sight for a time, sometimes calling to her from another room to draw the child on so that she will one day be able to cross difficult terrain and climb steep ascents without the instant relief of her parents' rescue and with the confidence that she is surrounded by love, even if that love cannot be measured or seen. In time, she might even be able to return that love in a mature relationship. We mortals crave signs and wonders. Who wouldn't want, who doesn't want proof that God is with us? But perhaps instant gratification is not always what we need most to satisfy God's and our deepest desire for an abiding connection. Perhaps a steady diet of signs and wonders can stunt our growth and keep us learning, keep us from learning, to trust that even when the way is parched and dry and we thirst, the Lord is near to us and streams of God's love do flow in the desert. That love will in time take on a new form. Yahweh will become flesh and come among us in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul will point to Christ and say, there, that is the rock at Horeb, because living water will flow from him to all people. With Christ, the water which God's people once sought outside themselves will now be found inside. For as John said, from believers' hearts will flow streams of living water. Yes, my dear friends and fellow sojourners, the Lord God, Yahweh, the great I Am, is indeed among us and also within us. Sometimes, we need to press on together, travel further, dig deeper, draw nearer to the rock, stand longer in front of the rock together before we can taste the pure, clear, sparkling water of God's love 
which is the critical thing that we need to grow and thrive and stay alive in the wilderness and quench our deepest thirst. So hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. They come to us like a song. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he shall come, he shall come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Amen.